Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with Blackbaud. Plan giving is often an overlooked opportunity for nonprofit organizations. Yes, it's not your typical type of gift, but it's certainly a very powerful driver of growth for a lot of nonprofit organizations. To talk about the modern landscape of plan giving, I'm joined by Patrick Schmidt. He's co-founder and co-CEO of Free Will, a company that specializes in modernizing how organizations can take advantage of plan giving. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Maybe a good place to start is a bit about your background and how did you find your way here based on some of your experience in the past with with social good organizations? Yeah, it's an interesting trip. So I have been involved in nonprofit organizations and social good basically my entire career and was really lucky in college and shortly after to start a small nonprofit and then a second one. So those of you that are are listening and have you know teams of three or four or fewer, I definitely feel your pain. And then based on some folks that I knew and some work that I had done, ended up going to run email fundraising for President Barack Obama after he was first elected. And so this was through the Affordable Care Act and, and all that. And that, that team and I worked really, really hard to make it super easy for you to give $28 at a time. And we ran endless experiments. We did so much design work. We were wrong a lot, but we learned a lot along the way. And so that's obviously been a big revolution in small dollar giving. And fast forward seven, eight, 10 years, and I was doing my own estate planning and thought, one, wow, this is by far the largest contribution I'm ever going to make. And two, this process sort of stinks. It's, it's quite difficult to navigate. There's no real handholding. It's also not always clear how I do it from a charitable giving standpoint. And some alarm bells went off because we, we made it so easy for people to give $10. And yet, in some cases, quite hard for them to give $100,000 or a million dollars in the same way. And from a very weird, organization. very weird irony there, right? To your point that the difficulty in making one of these significant gifts is the, the, the burden's a lot higher for so many people. Exactly. And the key here is that these are the same people making these gifts, the same folks that write a $20 check to NPR or the Sierra Club or their college are making bequests of $200,000. It's, it's actually almost three quarters of every, someone's entire lifetime giving is a planned gift if they make if they make that type of gift. So these are so, so important and tend to be underutilized by nonprofits. And your point about the, it's this very same type of donor. I mean, certainly all the research and analysis we've ever done in the past is that people who are have a very high likelihood of making a planned gift, in fact, are those people who are making relatively smaller dollar donations, but over a longer period of time, they're, you're, they're very loyal donors. It's just, this is the largest gift they'll ever make, but there's a, there's a history of them giving at different levels. That's exactly right. So if you think about the life of most Americans and most middle-class or upper middle-class Americans, so little of their money is in cash that they can donate. Instead, if you live in Northern New Jersey or the San Francisco suburbs or outside of Dallas, your home value has gone up so much since 1975 when you bought it. And yet you might not have tons of money to play with otherwise. 
But if your estate is worth a million dollars and you're choosing to leave 80% of that to your children and 20% to a cause you really care about, that is an enormous sum and dwarfs not only all the giving you've done in your lifetime, but all the giving all your neighbors have done in a lifetime. Yeah, it's a great perspective that for, for, the, for the typical person, setting aside those really massive gifts, for the typical person, their wealth is tied up in assets that aren't liquid. And um, that liquidity event likely doesn't happen while, while we're still living. So it's a good point to make that distinction. So are there things that you've seen change in the past year or so about how people are thinking about playing giving? And is any of that change as a result maybe because of COVID and, and other things that are happening? Great question. So there, there's really one macro trend around planned giving that's worth noting, and COVID is accelerating that. So the macro trend is what we call the great wealth transfer. One incredibly striking thing we're seeing is on our site, freewell.com, which allows people to create estate plans and get their affairs in order and has a strong proclivity towards charitable giving, we're seeing bequest rates and number of bequests that are 10 times higher than last August. I mean, the amount of estate planning that is happening right now in 2020 is off the charts. It's enormous compared to even 2019. And so what that means is that all of that money in the great wealth transfer is being allocated right now. People are really thinking about their planning. They're thinking about their mortality in a way they haven't thought otherwise. Even if folks live for another 20, 30 years, those plans are falling into place in 2020, in 2021. And plan giving is going to be enormously important over the next decade for tons of organizations. I think traditionally people have in their mind from a fundraising perspective, well, these donors are, are much older. And so those are the, the people that we want to engage with when the reality is we know from the data that the largest group who makes decisions about plan gifts are in their 40s and 50s, not their 70s and 80s. So exactly. right now, we're making these decisions. Exactly. 40s, 50s, 60s. And those people still need to be stewarded once those gifts are in place. But the magic is this. The research shows that once someone makes a plan gift, if you can effectively solicit a plan gift, their annual giving goes up by 75% over the next five years because suddenly they're so much closer to the organization. And they've already established, this is almost part of my family. So the next time a phone call comes, a piece of direct mail comes, they're much more likely to give. So it behooves you to start much earlier than people do traditionally to secure planned giving donors, in part because they'll be better donors in the near term, and in part because this, these gifts are just so enormous. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you touched on that, Patrick, because whenever I've had this discussion in the past, occasionally, from time to time, I'll, I'll get the, the naysayer who will say, but Steve, you know, you're asking me to invest time, money, and resources in a gift that's not going to happen for decades, and I need I need to fund this year's budget or next year's program. And so, you know, th this all sounds well and good, but but it's not helping me now. And I think what you're highlighting here, which is so important, is that it actually does help you both short term and long term because the the engagement level and the attitude that it changes in the relationship. I think that's really powerful. It's a great point, and it's. It's two things. Do you want a $20 gift now or do you want a $200,000 gift later? But actually that $200,000 gift probably comes with a $40 gift now or a $50 gift now, an increase in giving overall. So it's a can't lose from a nonprofit standpoint 
And plant giving will really power a lot of organizations for the next 15 years. Religious organizations, animal organizations, higher ed, these gifts are going to be dramatic, large, and much more frequent than they've been in the last 10 years. Now, for organizations who are are sort of skipping past part of this episode because they're already bought in, like, yep, we get this. We've got a program in place. We love it. This is fantastic. They're there. But what about organizations who maybe haven't focused a lot on plan giving ever, or it was always on the list of things that uh, they never quite got to? How do they start thinking about beginning to incorporate this more into their overall fundraising strategy? So this is a great question and a really important point. Too many nonprofits think plan giving is too complicated, too sophisticated, too challenging for them. It's not. 85% of all plan gifts are what are called bequests, which are simple language in a will or a trust. You can get much more complicated to really close that last 15%, but you really shouldn't worry about that until you have a robust program on board. So every newsletter, every survey on your website, et cetera, you should ask people whether they want more information about making a planned gift and just be able to use this very simple language. You can look at dozens of more sophisticated nonprofit websites, and all of them will have sample language that you can borrow and repurpose for your nonprofit. So if you think about planned giving as a dozen or more types of gifts, that's great if you're a highly advanced gift officer. If you're new to this, Focus on bequests, and you'll be 85 to 90% as good. Yeah, and that statistic bears repeating that, you know, 85% of planned gifts are just normal bequests. We could we could spend an hour talking about cruts and crats and all of the complex variations, but those are outliers when the vast majority are just normal bequests because of the type of people we're talking about making these gifts. So it doesn't have to get overly complicated. Don't let the the occasional complex one, you know, overrule the focus for for most of them are relatively straightforward. That's exactly right. And one corollary here is both for you and for the donor, you really want to make sure you're not using jargon or complicated language. Would you like to include a gift to us in your will? Even if you live to 150, this will still be really valuable to our organization, as opposed to thinking about all these complicated other vehicles. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think the other thing that we've seen organizations do as well to start to increase their messaging around this is just to ask those very basic questions, right? Have you, you know, have you included this in your will or have you, have you even thought about it, right? These may be topics that some people haven't thought about or, or at least being reminded that there's an opportunity to talk about it can be a good way to, to start that conversation over time. Exactly. Simple human to human conversations. You don't have to be financial advisor, tax advisor. Your donors will have these and they'll go to them if they need it. But just inviting them into this clear, simple way to give is really powerful. So, what are ways that you found, you know, beyond sort of the communication or pure sort of your messaging, but what are other ways of that you can start to talk to and steward those donors along this sort of path? Yeah. So there's probably three key tips for anyone who's trying to invite folks and steward them effectively. The first is to treat it as something that is quite common. So this is called social proof. And instead of what we just described as thinking it's too wonky, you want to use language like many supporters choose to do this. Would you like some more information? Many of our savviest donors choose to do this. So that's part one. Second is 
you don't want to anchor it as something that's only for older folks. Those older folks will feel a little bit singled out if you're saying, hey, you're 85, would you like to make a planned gift? That feels a little bit of an attack. So language that we like to use is something like this. Many of our supporters from 18 to 80 choose to make planned gifts. Is that something you'd like more information on? And making it clear that a broad swath of folks are doing this both makes it more accessible at the younger ages and more friendly at the older ages. A third key tip based on some of our research is what we call the triple option message in that when people are only thinking about estate planning, they tend to recoil a bit. But if you give them multiple ways to give, and I don't mean multiple plan giving options, I mean multiple ways to give, that can be really powerful. So you might say, would you like to make a monthly donation? Would you like to give stock? Or would you like to consider a plan gift? And people are much more comfortable engaging with that. And our research shows that it has dramatically better results. Yeah, I think those three areas are really good advice. The first one on the social proof side, like there is so much proven research about the power of social proof, whether that's, you know, and, and we might not recognize it because we might not know that's what it was. But, you know, the last time you stayed in a hotel, there's that there's that card there that says, hey, uh, you know, 85 percent of the people who stay in this room choose to you know, do this with the bedding or the towels. Or let's think practical example about entertainment, right? When you go into Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever you're watching your movies these days at home, those systems recommend what to watch next. And th there's an element there about social proof, which is, hey, this is popular this week on Disney Plus, popular this week on Netflix. We know that works. And so that same technique can be used to leverage that here, which is, hey, people like you do things like this. And I really like the second point you made, which was don't, you know, make it broad, right? To your point, people from 18 to, to 88 make planned gifts. It's not just maybe what you preconceive it to be. And that can set people at ease too. That's right. In, in some ways, we always talk about how fundraising is a highly specialized skill and it is, but also humans are humans. And the things that work in other areas can really be brought into planned giving and fundraising in a much broader sense than they often are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's millions of social good organizations and lots of ways to engage in fundraise, but the common denominator is the human. And it turns out we know a lot about the human <laughs> and, and how they react and, and do, do those things. And, and part of that too is the, the third thing you had mentioned, which is choice. Now it's possible to give too many choices and they get overwhelmed. But teeing up plan giving as a choice compared to, I could make a pledge, I could make a recurring gift, or I could make a plan gift, you know, you're not overwhelming them, but at least you're giving them options and choices to respond and react to. That's correct. And the thing we see that it's even more important in a moment like this, and you're seeing what I'm seeing, which is stock markets continue to hit new highs, but so does unemployment. And so giving a path forward for folks that still may be house rich, cash poor because of an interruption in employment, this can be a way to still contribute and make a really, really big difference in a way they, they might otherwise just have to totally pull back. So giving those options takes extra importance in 2020 and in 2021 in the economy and the environment that we're in. Yeah, it's a good point. You're, you're sort of adjusting to the times that we live in, but allowing that as a choice. And again, people may have not thought of it that way but they can start to plan for it and, and have that communication. You know, is, is your, you know, you've started to do this work with free will and engaging with 
with people and in, in different organizations in this area. Are there some common questions that people tend to have that a, a nonprofit might say, wow, uh, I don't know how I would answer or respond to that. I mean, I would have to imagine there's some, some a common set of questions that most people have that often can confuse them about this topic of, of deciding how, how they can choose to give this way. Fewer than you would think. Once people understand it, they're usually pretty welcoming to plan giving. A couple of things we've seen is, especially around things like making an estate plan or something else, people ask, am I too young to have an estate? Am I too poor to have an estate? And these are people that are quite well-to-do, but sometimes you imagine an estate is a castle in Ireland. And if you don't have that, you don't really have an estate. Or basically it means, hey, do you have stuff? And so yeah. even things like, you know, everyone should have a will to both allocate what they have, but also do things like pick the songs that go at your funeral or figure out who's taking care of your stamp collection. Making it real and less ethereal and also sort of less highfalutin is quite valuable here. So using real language, and, and some organizations are doing this exceptionally well. And it, we think moving into more casual, more human, more authentic conversation, as opposed to this overly fancy Oxford-style conversation around plan giving, takes it out of the ivory tower and makes it much more accessible for normal folks. Yeah, especially for people who just don't see themselves in that way, right? They Again, I, well, I don't have a castle in Ireland, so why would you be asking me to do that? Well, that's actually not the reality for, for most people who would make a plan gift either. And so here's a different way to think about it. But I, I like that you've noted it's not as complicated as maybe we're even thinking it could be, that it's, it's relatively straightforward for, for the typical individual. One more point I'll add here is it's interesting how similar the feeling that nonprofits have, which is, wow, plan giving is complicated. I don't really want to do it today, maybe next year, is to what donors feel. Wow, estate planning and plan giving is a little complicated. I don't want to do it this year. Maybe I'll do it next year. And in both cases, when you can clearly allow someone to get started, they then find how simple and easy it is. So that key of providing really clean, clear on-ramps to then, to then have people finish at a very high rate. The biggest challenge in planned gifts isn't getting people to wrap it up, which can be the case for major gifts or others. It's to get people to get started, and then it's all downhill from there in terms of how easy it gets. So we work with a lot of organizations and say, great, how do we engage people at the lowest threshold possible, knowing that they will then go complete it on their own once they realize this is not as big and scary as I thought it might be. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. To your point, with a with a major gift or a principal level gift, the challenge is often how are we going to close that? How do we wrap that up? How do we bring it to conclusion and start stewarding? In this case, it's just it's about getting getting started. And if we can get people started on the first few steps, we've got a much better degree of confidence of them, you know, making that commitment and then being able to engage with them going forward. Exactly. And it's, when it comes to how large these gifts are, it just becomes so, so important. So maybe to wrap up, Patrick, what would be some advice you'd have for organizations as they're thinking about, okay, great. I, I like where this is going. I'm, I know more than I did before and I'm less intimidated. What are steps that we could, you know, what's the first steps that they could take to, to learn more and, and start moving in this direction? I'll say it's three things here. One is just get started. Make a commitment in the next month to have some plan giving effort, whether it's just simply putting it on your webpage or including it in an email, and you'll be surprised how responsive people are and how easy it is to continue. Two, 
if you're ever going to get started, get started right now. I can't underscore enough how off the charts estate planning and plan giving is in this month, in this year. In August is normally a slow month for everything. And it was by far the highest giving we'd ever seen on free will, despite it being the summer dog days. So you can imagine what September is looking like in October as we get to the end of year. So if you ever are going to get started, get started today, because this is the moment where that massive wealth transfer is being allocated. And third is do whatever you can to make it easy on your supporters. Sometimes I compare plan giving in the traditional sense to if we only received cashier's checks and demanded cashier's checks for cash gifts. We make it so hard on the donor to give us money that there are a lot of tools available and a lot of different pathways to allow donors to much more easily make these gifts. So that's really key. And then one other thing I'll note is that some people are confused about messaging around, especially around the coronavirus, can we talk about plan giving? And the answer is yes, people are wildly effective, but you do have to get it right. So we have a ton of email templates and things that people can just copy and paste and start using for their own organization. And that's on freewill.com. And there's a, there's a tab for resources at the bottom. And so those resources all, are all free and available to folks because we know how challenging it is to get that exactly right in this moment. Patrick, this is really good advice. We covered a lot of ground here. I learned things that I didn't know before, and I think you, you've helped listeners understand how to take those first few steps into doing more with plan giving than they've done before. So really appreciate you having, on the, having you well, on the show. Thanks for having me, and it's really a joy to be here. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the letter P. Thanks for listening.